just about that I looked at in Hebrews. Turn to chapter 6 and they say, we presume you have turned to chapter 6 in this book because you want to know whether I am a good person or not. You're going to see if you agree with what I say and if you don't, then you're probably not going to buy the book. This is one of those passages which it's nice to skip over. Because it's a passage which causes all sorts of worries, all sorts of questions to bubble up in our subconscious minds. And, and it's talking about falling away. And it's talking about oh, nailing Jesus Christ to the cross once again. And we sit there and we think, what on earth is this on about? Can this apply to me? Does this apply to me? And perhaps we read a passage like Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and we think to ourselves, oh my golly gosh, am I really saved? How do I know if, if I haven't done what Hebrews chapter 6 is warning about. How do, how do I know that I'm not guilty of, of this falling away? How do I know? Am I really saved? And we go and we look at passages like John chapter 10 and, and, and Paul's writings and Jesus' writings, well, Jesus' writings about him and, and the Old Testament. And time and again we, we hear that, that God keeps those who are His, that, that the saints cannot fall away. And you come to, to Hebrews chapter 6 and it says, No! Those who fall away cannot be brought back to repentance and we wonder what on earth is happening. Such an interesting passage. Such a difficult passage. Which is why we're doing it in our series on Christian basics. uh, Christianity 101. Remember last week we looked at the first two verses. uh, Well, the first three verses of chapter 6 of Hebrews. And we we looked at the basics of the faith. uh, Repentance. Faith baptisms, the laying on of hands, all of these things. And we we said, yes, this is the foundation upon which our trust, our reliance, our relationship with Jesus rests. And now the writer to the Hebrews wants to take us a step further. Wants to say to us, now that you've got that foundation done, now that you understand the basis for your relationship, let us go Further, let us get some solid food into you. And it doesn't start with chocolate, it starts with steaks. Heavy stuff. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord, with a passage which is difficult, which is confronting, which is confusing. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to discern what it is that you are saying to us. Father, that you would help us to to be encouraged by your word this morning. Holy Spirit, I dare to ask that you would even use my words to illuminate your truth. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4, 5, and 6 is actually one sentence. So we'll be treating all of that in, in one shot. What does it say? It is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, 
those who have experienced the good things of heaven, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God, the power of the age to come, have then turned away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing Him to the cross once again and holding Him up to public shame. Who is it that the writer to the Hebrews is speaking about in these verses? Well, he tells us, he says he's talking about the impossibility for repentance of those who were once enlightened. Now, it's not the kind of enlightenment that we have from Eastern mysticism. This is the enlightenment that comes from a revelation of who Jesus is. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is John chapter 1, where it speaks about the Word of God becoming flesh and being the light of the world and the light shining in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul takes it a step further and he says to us, uh, Once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of the light. You see, what Paul is saying is, those who have been enlightened, those who have received the light, are those who know Jesus. Those who have a relationship with Jesus, He is the light of the world. Apart from Him, there is no light. There is just darkness. In fact, we're told by Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that the God of this world, the God of this age, what He does to stop people turning to Christ is to blind their eyes so that they cannot see the light. Says the writer to the Hebrews here in chapter 6, verse 4, I'm talking about those who have been enlightened, who have received the light. And he goes on and he says, right, that's a bit of a philosophical word. Let me explain it for you. What does it mean to be enlightened? Well, first off, it means that you have tasted of the heavenly gift. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9.15, Paul says to us that the heavenly gift is the grace of God. The heavenly gift is the person of Christ, isn't it? The gift that came down from heaven to earth. The greatest gift, of course, is Jesus. And the writer to the Hebrews says, I'm speaking about people who have tasted of this gift, who have experienced this for themselves. It's not just something that they heard a chaplain at school say. It's not just something that they overheard in the park. This is something that is real to them. They have tasted and experienced Christ for themselves. They have, furthermore, been partakers of the Holy Spirit. Sharers of the Holy Spirit. the sign and seal of adoption. And they have shared of this spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God. In other words, when they've picked up the Bible, it's not just a dry book or a good story. It's, it's, it's a good book. It's the good word. It has been an emotional connection for them almost to the goodness of what God has done, the message of salvation and truth and hope. They've tasted the powers of the age to come. 
signs and wonders. They have seen God at work. They've experienced the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Perhaps they have experienced the gifts of the Spirit. Perhaps they have seen people being healed. Perhaps they have, I I don't know, but, but something they know that there is a power at work which is not of this world and is not of this age and is of the kingdom where there is no hurt or pain or suffering. The writer to the Hebrew says these people, these people have experienced all of these things. And yet they have rejected Christ. And yet they have, as it were, nailed him to the cross once more. And yet, like the soldiers, they have gathered around Jesus in public and mocked him. cursed him and abused him. Now what do we do with this passage? What do we do with this passage? It seems to me as we read through this that it's speaking about Christians who have fallen away from the faith. How on earth can this be? John chapter 10, Jesus says, nobody can snatch those who belong to me out of my hand. Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And yet we come to Hebrews and it says, these people have fallen away. How does that work? We can try and sort of wiggle our way out of it and say, well, you know, these people weren't weren't really Christians. Uh, they, They tasted of the kingdom of God. They tasted, as in they didn't chew, they didn't swallow, they just uh, touched the tongue and then got rid of it. But, but that's, that's a bad argument. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9, we're told that Jesus tasted death for everyone. Now if Jesus tasted death for everyone, we know that Jesus died completely. He didn't just sort of, ooh, that's what death feels like, step out again before I go too far. Jesus actually died. And so if Jesus tasted death, if if tasted there means a complete experience, then then tasted here means a complete experience. I hope I'm not confusing you. This this is a, a complicated passage. We can't wiggle our way out of this and, and pretend that these people weren't Christians. Well, maybe it's maybe it's hypothetical. Maybe the writer to the Hebrews is saying, you know what, let's pretend for a moment that Christians can fall away. And and if they did fall away, which they can't, then this is what it's like. But that, that doesn't strike me the way the writer to the Hebrews works. He's he's speaking to a deliberate set of people. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, but I don't think this is the case of you. 
beloved. And he uses that word beloved for the first and only time in the gospel. He is speaking the gospel, the, the, the letter here. I think he's speaking legitimately. He's speaking of a real thing, of real Christians falling away. Now, how does this work? Because the Bible says Christians cannot fall away. You know that old, that old doctrine, the, the perseverance of the saints. Is the writer to the Hebrews turning around and saying, ah, uh-uh, sorry, all the other biblical writers, even Jesus got it wrong, Christians can fall away. Who here has ever wondered about whether you can fall away? Anyone? I don't believe the ones who haven't. Were these people really Christians? As far as we know, yes. I mean, those descriptions of them, of being enlightened and tasting the heavenly gift and sharing in the Holy Spirit, that's, that, 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 that says got to be Christians. But it doesn't contradict this whole idea of the saints' perseverance. In fact, what we'll see next week is that those who persevere are the saints. As far as we know, these people are Christians, but, but in the end, we only know that if they stay Christians to the end. Is it possible for a true believer to fall away? <sighs> no. Because then they wouldn't be a true believer. <laughs> because Jesus says you can't snatch anyone out of my Father's hand. Is it possible for a Christian to fall away? Yes, it is. We've got to take Hebrews seriously here. What he's saying, what he's saying is that these people who, from our perspective at least, from a human perspective, we look at them, they are Christians. It seems like even God has given them of himself. And yet they fall away. That's a problem, isn't it? (laughs) What? I don't know about you, but in my own life, there have been times when I have rejected Christ. When I have sinned. When I have backslidden, does that mean I'm not saved? Does that mean you're not saved? No. (laughs) No, absolutely no. 
don't go away with that thought. You know what, what we're talking about here is not the, the casual sliding back into sin. What we're talking about here is a concerted, outright rebellion against Christ saying, I know you are good, Lord. I have experienced your power and your strength. I have seen that you are the only God, and yet I will turn against you and I will say, no, that man has no right over my life. That God has no right over my life. I will not be your child God. We're talking outright opposition. We're talking a concerted, I will not give in. I will be in charge. And the writer to the Hebrews says, when it comes to that point where we say to God, God, insert word of your choice here. Actually, don't choose a word. I'm sorry, I shouldn't even get you to think about that. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is talking about here. He is talking about people coming to the point where Christ is absolutely denied any right in their lives. But, what, what, on, what on earth is this saying? It is impossible to bring back to repentance those who having done all this decide to say, God, get lost. Is it impossible for God to save these people? Nothing's impossible. You know what he says there? It is impossible to bring back to repentance. He doesn't say it's impossible for God to save these people. He says it's impossible to bring them back to repentance. You know what? When you have decided absolutely Jesus you have no right over my life. Where do you go for repentance? How can you repent if the only one who can forgive you is, is categorically denied access to your life? In other words, the problem here is not a problem on God's side. The problem is a problem on our side, on hard-heartedness from our side. And God says through the writer to the Hebrews, if you absolutely reject God and deny Him right over your life, even though you have experienced His power, even though you have known His goodness, then you cannot be saved. Because you will not repent. And we saw last week, the repentance is the foundation of foundations of our faith. It reminds me a little bit of, of two kings from the Old Testament, David and Saul. Both kings were, were good at the beginning of their reigns. Both kings mucked up something terrible. Now, King Saul, what did he do? He just, he got so proud. He got so uppity. Didn't wait on God. He just went ahead, did what he did, took what he wanted to take. God said, no, don't take that stuff. Saul said, well, I want it, I'll take it. In the end, God says, I don't want this man to be king over my nation anymore. He, he cuts off contact. What does Saul do? On the eve of his last battle, he goes and he says, I know that God said, do not consult mediums, but I want to know what happens. I'll go and call up the prophet Samuel from the dead. <laughs> doesn't go to God. See, in his mind, that's not an option. 
doesn't repent. It just gets deeper into sin. David, on the other hand, you know, I, I love old David. He's a bit like Peter. Solid rock, but absolute fool. King David, uh, he had that whole incident where he was sitting on his roof and saw Bathsheba and whatnot, murdered her husband. He sinned, and then he sinned to cover up his sin, and he sinned to cover up the covering up of his sin. But you know what he did then? He repented to God. You see, that is the difference between Saul and David. Saul came to a point where he said, God, you have no right to have any say over my life. And he didn't come to repentance. He had known the Spirit of God. They had said, is Saul also among the prophets? Because when the Spirit came on him, he prophesied. And yet he said, no. And God said, okay. David, on the other hand, said, God, I am a sinner. Would you forgive me? And God said, of course. You see, there was still this relationship with God. Can can a, a true person, a true Christian, someone with a relationship with God, fall away from God? No. <laughs> to fall away from God is to say, I don't want the relationship anymore. I will divorce you, God. <laughs> you know, this, this warning to us here in, in Hebrews chapter 6, I believe it is a warning. Time and again, the Bible comes to us and says, you know, you are safe. You are held in the arms of Jesus Christ. No one can snatch you away. Nothing can separate you. But if you think you stand, be careful lest you fall. That's what Hebrews is doing. It's saying to us, do you really have a relationship? the end of the day, that's between us and God. At the end of the day, we don't know. But at the end of the day, there are some hints. Verses 7 and 8 have got this picture of rain falling on a field. And, and the writer to the Hebrews says there, he says, if the rain falls on the field and it grows weeds and thorns and ugly stuff, it's going to get burnt. It's good for nothing. But if the rain falls and it produces a good crop, it's going to be pleasing to the one who is gardening it. How do you know if you're saved? have the spirit yes so did they <laughs> this is an uncomfortable passage 
we have to look at it. How do we know we're saved? We have the Spirit, and the Spirit produces good fruit, good crops. Next week, we're going to get to the, the happy bit of this passage. I'm sorry to do that to you. Next week is, is, is let me read the first verse. Chapter 6, verse 9. Dear friends, even though we are talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident you are meant for better things, and I can say that right now. Even though I'm speaking about this, and I'm reiterating this warning from the Hebrews, be careful lest you fall, my dear friends. I am confident that this is not about you. Because I know, as the writer to the Hebrews knew about the Hebrews, when I look at you, I see the Spirit producing fruit amongst you and through your life and towards each other. You read for us, Chaz. Um, do you want to repeat it for us? I forgot the reference. If you love one another. That's an uncomfortable passage. I'm glad I'm done with it. <laughs> but be warned. Be encouraged that nobody can snatch you out of Jesus' hand. Let's grow that relationship. Let's grow that relationship rather than see it wither and die. Let's pray. Father God, wow, what an uncomfortable passage. Lord, what a difficult passage and confusing passage. And Lord, we own to not be 100% certain exactly what is going on. Lord, thank you that you know who are yours. Thank you, Father, that nobody can snatch us out of your hand. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us of your Spirit. Lord, we have tasted and we have known that you are good. Lord, we know that your Word is good. Lord, we have experienced your power at work in our lives and in our church. Oh, Lord, would you grow our appetite for you, that we would want more of your goodness, more of your power, more of your Spirit, more of yourself, Lord, that we would not only be enlightened, but that we would be shining lights. Father, encourage us. Because we are yours. You are our Father. We are your children. Thank you, Lord. Amen.